the this is the final and the fourth and final part of our grow up series on the book of Philippians. Um, so we're looking at what it means to rejoice or to grow to flourish. So uh, week one was uh, growing up, uh, then it was growing strong, growing our roots, and now it's growing to flourish. Um, this might seem a little bit jarring or a bit strange, and um, since our series is about maturing in faith, becoming grown-up Christians, so to speak. Um, so maturity might seem a bit irrelevant or, or incompatible with unashamed rejoicing and celebration. However, this is not a fault in the plan of the series. I can tell you now. It's, uh, in the grown-up world, there isn't much space or time or energy for celebration. So in the grown-up Christian world, is the case the same? This whole series has been looking at different ways that Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, um, continually urges the early church to mature in their faith, not to um, stay comfortably stagnant and complacent about God, but to press on, to move forward and to grow up in faith. Yet as many times as Paul calls on them, to grow up, to, to press on. In the same breath, in every single chapter, he calls on them to rejoice. Rejoicing and lifelong maturing in Christ are inseparable. But what is rejoicing? Throughout the Bible, we're told to rejoice in the Lord, but what actually is it? Um, it is, it is getting near Christmas, but I have to just put a disclaimer and a bit of apology. This isn't a Christmas talk, <laughs> so I'll give you a, a quick story anyway. Um, so um, about probably about 10 to 12 years ago, um, me and my family were at like a kind of like a family reunion kind of Christmas party thing, Boxing Day probably, or New Year's. I've, I've actually wiped the story almost from my memory out of sheer embarrassment, um, but I'm getting it out today. Um, <laughs> So um, we, we were at this party, and my, my dad has nine brothers and sisters. So I have a lot of aunties and uncles. And um, we were at this party in like a bar or a pub or some kind of thing. So, like a nice, a nice one. And then um, there was like a disco going on. And me and my sister, so I'm like early teens. And me and my, and my sister's kind of three, she's three years old, as she's doing. And, um, oh, I'm on looks. <laughs> and, um, and we were kind of sat in our corner, just kind of keeping ourselves to ourselves, you know, because when there's a disco going on and it's all your aunties and uncles and you're 11, you don't join in. That's just not part of the deal. So, um, but my auntie Ivy, um, a particularly vivacious auntie, decided that the only reason that we could possibly not be dancing is because we actually didn't know how. And so then she insisted on standing us up and walking us to the dance floor and teaching us how to dance, which is, as you can imagine, significantly more embarrassing than just doing it yourself. And then for the rest of the evening, we had to be dancing, because every time we sat down, she'd come and get us and be like, come on, step to the beat, but with a Georgie accent, which I'm not going to attempt. Um, so um, sometimes we're just at those celebrations that we just don't really want to be at. They're just a little bit awkward. So I'd like you just to talk. You've got 30 seconds on your tables. Uh, when was the last time you were at a celebration that you really didn't want to be at? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's pull it back to you. Amazing. I'm sure you got some marvellous and interesting and awkward stories from that. Maybe you have your own Auntie Eileen. 
So rejoicing, celebrating. Rejoicing can seem a bit much because it's not a hidden fuzzy feeling or a basic gratefulness. We can't avoid the fact that rejoicing is like a big expressive word for, for outward celebration, an act of outward celebration. Rejoicing isn't low key and so it's not very cool. In fact, it's a bit awkward because our culture is one of, of irony and cynicism and so to kind of celebrate the everyday, the seemingly mundane, um, just seems a bit, a bit silly. God telling us to rejoice in him throughout the Bible can come across a little bit like my auntie and being like, step to the beat, come on, doesn't matter. <laughs> it's not like we don't want to be at the party, it's more like we don't want to look like an idiot at the party. And the same applies to our faith. We want to be at the party. We want to grow and mature and follow Jesus. But the awkward teenager within us is still a bit scared that God's going to make us look stupid. That rejoicing unashamedly and surrendering totally in him might look a bit over the top or a bit stupid or a bit cliched or at least just a bit insincere. What actually is rejoicing? And why is it so important? Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or, received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. I love this passage. I love it. I think it's beautiful. I think it's positive. I think it's uplifting. I love the fact that it talks against anxiousness, something which is so, such a foundation in our culture. I love the promise that it holds for each of us. However, I have to admit, I do tend to skim over that, those first couple of sentences. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice is just written off in my mind as um, it doesn't really mean anything. It's just a nice word. You know, it just means be happy. But I believe that when something is repeated in the same breath in the Bible, it's done for a purpose. Particularly as this word is, is repeated throughout the whole of Philippians. God is drawing our attention to it on purpose for a reason. We're meant to take it seriously as a command. It's worth pulling apart this particular choice of word, this command to rejoice and to wrestle with what that really means. 
First of all, let's look at what is rejoicing. It's a verb. It's an action. It's related, but it's distinctly different from having joy or being joyful. It's not the same as those, though. Those things point to joy that we have or are. It's important important for us to distinguish this because in the Bible, um, the kind of joy that we have or are is spoken about as an anointing or as a gift that can't be taken away. Like the oil of joy in Psalm 45 and Isaiah 61 or the crowns of everlasting joy in Isaiah 35. And in John 16, 22, Jesus talks about his resurrection from the dead as bringing a joy that cannot be taken away. The source of joy is Jesus' living presence with us and it can't be taken away because he can't be taken away from us once we've accepted him. Rejoicing is different. Rejoicing isn't just a memory of accepting Jesus, it's an action. It's a verb that calls on us to dig beneath the stuff of life that have buried our joy, the joy that can't be taken away. Paul doesn't command the flip doesn't command the Philippians just to have joy or be joyful. Because he knows that they, they haven't lost their joy. He knows that they haven't changed their minds about Jesus. It's still there somewhere, way beneath the surface. He commands them to rejoice because he knows too well it's easy to lose sight of the joy that can't be taken away. And he insists on repeating himself in this command. I will say it again. Because he knows it takes active, dogged persistence to keep digging down through all that mess of circumstances and relationships to that gift of joy. It's as if he said, rejoice, and then stopped and and looking down at his own chains and his own scars and the suffering of the people around him, lying in prison with almost certain death awaiting him. And then he thinks of the Philippians, these, this, these friends and family that he's adopted, this fledgling church who are just setting out on their journey on the Christian way. And he sees ahead the cost and the confusion and the dangers and the dark days that inevitably lie ahead. Paul tells them that he, he knows what he's saying. He saw it all through. He saw it the worst case scenario. And he says again, rejoice. Rejoice. Revisit and rekindle the joy that has been gifted to you in Jesus. So rejoicing is not an emotion or a feeling. It's different from being joyful or having joy, nor is it about circumstances. But it's the act of accessing, of touching base with the unshakable joy of Jesus' living presence with us. And we can examine this idea of rejoicing further um, by looking at how this particular word rejoice pops up throughout the New Testament. Um, What's interesting is that with every occurrence of this word comes a situation of pressure. Rejoicing is not just a case, as is often said, of delighting in God despite the circumstances. Our circumstances and our feelings are inseparable from the act of rejoicing. Diamonds are formed 
from carbon, which goes under intense pressure. Beautiful things, rejoicing, is formed under intense pressure. We don't have time to go through all of them now because we'd be here till Christmas. Um, But um, all the examples through the Bible show that um, it is pretty much expected that our circumstances and our feelings will challenge this act of rejoicing. Because real rejoicing is forged in the furnace of everyday living. This is news to me. I've often thought that God must just expect us to kind of switch off like robots and praise him as much as he demands um, without thinking about anything about my life. But God is far more compassionate than I'm given credit for. Paul says right after his call to rejoice, let your gentleness be evident to all. Rejoicing is an empty, extrovert enthusiasm just patched over the scars and the, um, and the cause of our own emotions. We rejoice with gentleness in the light of God's mercy towards us. It's a deep joy rather than just a manufactured joy. Rejoicing is the act of digging beneath, sifting through the stuff of circumstance and feeling to access that unshakable joy. And as we rejoice in God, our full awareness of the risks and the pressure and the embarrassment just get overshadowed as we become more conscious of his presence with us and to how we, we, as we accept more of how incredibly praiseworthy he is. It's a relief, but it's a challenge. My own stubbornness and pride points out to me every day that there always seems to be a reason not to rejoice. But when we realise that rejoicing is bolstered and fired from the pressures of everyday living, we begin to discover more of what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth. There are people in our church who are going to be under intense pressure, even just over the next few weeks. Let's be realistic. There are people who are caring for elderly relatives. There are people who are mourning. There are people who are ill. People who don't know how they're going to afford to even pay for the month, never mind Christmas. People with difficulties in their marriage. People with mental health issues. People who are lonely. People with just tons of work and revision to wade through before they can even get to sitting down. People who aren't going to get any time off to spend with family. People who have family tensions. However big or however small, the list is endless of tensions that each of us are all under. The challenge of this passage for all of us is that rejoicing isn't forgetting the pressures of life, but it's digging down through those pressures. God with us to rediscover the joy that God has already given us, lifting up the stuff that we're digging through to him to redeem So now, we come to the question of how do we rejoice in the Lord always? What does it look like? What are the practicalities? Let's start by grabbing our Greek dictionaries and um, having a cheeky glance at the translation and definition of rejoice. Um, There are three layers to the original word. 
um, that I've kind of drawn out of it that I found really helpful in examining this idea of rejoicing. What is it? Um, the first and most obvious layer is to take delight in something, to celebrate. We've already looked at this in, in seeing how rejoicing isn't just an emotion, it's not to be confused with just kind of surface happiness, but it's an act of celebrating outwardly, celebrating God. The second layer of our definition is that it rejoices to lean towards grace or to consciously experience God's grace. I'm not just making this up, (laughs) you may be surprised. In fact, grace and joy share the same root word. And um, in the original Greeks, they are inextricably linked. Grace is a really important part to what rejoicing is. And we'll look more at that in just a moment. And the third layer of this definition is rejoicing as a greeting, as a welcome. And many of the letters written by the apostles in the New Testament um, use this word rejoice as a greeting, as a welcome, um, a kind of address. It's like the rejoicing that the disciples did when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and they're kind of rolling out the red carpet and hailing his welcome, hailing his arrival, welcoming him. In our passage from Philippians, I think Paul shows us that these last two layers of greeting God and consciously experiencing grace are avenues into that first one, which I just can't pin down. That active layer of rejoicing, of celebrating. These pathways into rejoicing have encouraged and sharpened me in figuring out more of what it means to rejoice always. Rejoicing is like a celebration. When you celebrate like an anniversary or something like that, it's an outward, you mark it. And so it's not enough for us just to kind of say, oh, it's just about being sending a cursory thank you every now and then. It's more, it's you mark the occasion of God with us. I've been really wrestling with this and trying to figure it out. So I hope um, these two avenues into that celebration will help us all in our journey of maturing. How do we rejoice always? The first pathway goes back to our last definition of rejoicing being a greeting or a welcome. As Paul puts it in Philippians 4, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. God is near. Do you realise that? Where have you been today and and how have you kind of flown around and gone about your day? What sort of rush have you been in? It's very easy for us to skim over in this incredible passage in Philippians, that short sentence, the Lord is near. This is one of the most important sentences of this passage. Never mind even the big promises about anxiety and, and truth. Rejoice always because the Lord is near. We must acknowledge God's presence as we rejoice in him. So often I've got really frustrated because I've tried to kind of be disciplined. I'm like, right, I need to rejoice in the Lord more. I need to praise him which sounds like so much fun when you put it like that. And um, so I just kind of tried to jump into it without really acknowledging that God, the creator, the king, is here. So I just kind of shut up some meaningless compliments to a bearded man in the sky and, and hope for the best. And that's not without merit. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong about that. But God wants us to connect with him. God wants us to say, God, I know you're here. You're with me. You're in my situation. 
in John uh, chapter 1, um, that, the very opening of it, and the message paraphrase um, says, and the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighbourhood. He moved into your neighbourhood. He moved into the neighbourhood of your life. He moved into the everyday, the mundane. He sees the most boring bits of your day because he's with you. He's here. Rejoicing is acknowledging and celebrating God's presence with us. That when we speak to him, he not only listens, but he stands in the middle of our situation with us. And he reads between the lines. And he gives us a peace that transcends understanding. A famous carol, another Christmas reference for those who are getting excited already. Uh, Joy to the world has a line. Let every heart prepare him room. The Lord is near. How do we rejoice? We make room for God. We acknowledge our Creator's presence in everything. Have you made room for him? Do you understand that you caught his eye? Do you understand that he's chased you down? You don't have to, we pursue him and we run into more of him, but you don't have to catch up with him in some way. He's already chased you down. He's already with you. He already understands. He sees you. The person next to you might not know what's going on in the very deepest part of your thoughts, but he knows. He sees it. He can even articulate what you can't articulate. He is with us. He is near. Do you welcome him? Do you roll out the red carpet for him in your busy working week? Do you acknowledge his presence amidst your revision for January exams or the madness of looking after your kids? Could you grab just a few seconds to thank God that he's with you, that he's speaking into your life? In the craziness of wrapping presents and Christmas shopping, how can you remind yourself that God is near? God is with you. Maybe it's just something as simple as, as writing it down or, or sticking it somewhere where you'll see throughout your day, like the bathroom mirror, or not that you'd be there all day, or the fridge, hopefully you wouldn't be there either. Or your wallet, hopefully you wouldn't be there either. Think of your own good place where you'd be all day. <laughs> and maybe you just need to remind yourself, the Lord is near. The second pathway to rejoicing takes on the other angle or layer of the definition of rejoicing, and that is to consciously experience his grace. Let's go to verse 8 of Philippians 4. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. Not do, or live up to, or be, or accept that God is. Think it. Isn't that weird? God not only is present with us, but he has purposes for us. He not only sees you, he wants to redeem you right down to the very details of your life, right down to what's in your head. 
I very often live by my feelings and my thoughts. So my thoughts, re- I'm, I'm a thinky kind of person. <laughs> I'm sure everyone is. But, um, <laughs> but um, I, I really, I live off my feelings. My emotions drive me. If I'm having a bad week or I wake up in a bit of a bad mood, that means that I hate my job, I hate my life. I need to leave York, I need to leave G2. <laughs> I don't, like, everything is, is shaped around my emotions. My entire perspective collapses in as soon as a certain emotion takes centre stage in my head. But God doesn't ask us just to wipe out our feelings or, or our thoughts or just to stop thinking about anything but Him. He wants to shape and redeem our thoughts. When we talk about redeeming, it's a process of untwisting. It's untwisting what's been twisted and warped by the pressures of life, the criticism and the fear that you might be living under for whatever reason. But God desires to untwist your thoughts from false to true, from dishonourable to noble, from wrong to right, and so on. Who wants to redeem worry into prayer? Because when we worry... We've just decided that we can fix our problems. That we can fix everything that's worth worrying about. The same energy, the same function that we, that we use to worry is actually the same one as we use to pray. Imagine if, we could, if God could redeem and untwist our worries into prayer. How much more would we talk to him? God is not just present as a spectator, but has a purpose for us. He doesn't get rid of our problems, but he wants to bring us to bring them to him in, in real rejoicing as we dig through them to get to the unshakable joy which he has given us. We lift them up to him to redeem and untwist. We don't just get rid, we let go. To rejoice is to surrender every detail of our lives to his redemptive grace. To rejoice is to consciously experience God's grace every day, to dig through our feelings and our thoughts, to keep living by his grace, to keep giving them back to him, every aspect of our lives, to renew and transform, to consciously experience his grace every day, to relive it, to revisit it, to re-understand what his grace means on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and the rest of the week as well. (laughs) What habits and trains of thought have we fallen into? In this passage, Paul talks about the peace of God, standing guard over our hearts and minds. But are there aspects of your heart and mind that God hasn't even got access to? Never mind guards over with peace. Where does your mind drift off to when the talk is getting a little bit long and dreary at GT? Do you begin to get stressed about your to-do list? What resentments and annoyances do you dwell on from the past week? Do you create a fantasy life of your perfect house, perfect job, perfect spouse, perfect children? What kind of things do you pray about? Do you ask God to change and shape you through the places that he's put you? Or do you just only let him in as far as he can take you out of a nasty situation and no further? What's the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? What's the last thing you'll think about tonight? How can you turn these thoughts towards God and rejoice in his power by his grace to turn them around? 
pure, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think about these things. How do we rejoice? We become conscious, aware of God's power to turn around every detail of our lives to good, to work everything together for our good. So where are you at? Maybe you just need to realise that God is near. Have you just been letting the time and the days and your work fly past you without realising that God is with you? God is here. Maybe as we respond together, then you just need to, to recognise that, that God is close and he longs to give you peace. He longs for you just to be aware that he's around. You just need to stop processing and thinking it through and you need to just start letting that truth that God is here sink in. Or maybe it's being conscious of God's grace. Maybe it's allowing God to untwist your thoughts. Maybe the Holy Spirit has brought something to the surface in you that actually isn't true or noble or, or any of those things. And It's not like you just have, could just get rid of it, but God wants to redeem it. Maybe you just want to pray that God will change your thinking and your habits. Maybe you just want to pray that you can rely on his strength. You can't do it in your own willpower. Trust me, I've tried. It doesn't work. Maybe you just want to pray for his strength in redeeming those habits and patterns of thought. Or maybe um, it's asking God for the strength to rejoice. Maybe you've been listening to me and thinking, what do you know? You're a 22-year-old and nothing's ever gone wrong for you. Maybe the pressures of life are just crushing you. Maybe you don't see any joy buried beneath all those pressures because you're underneath those pressures. Maybe for you, you just need to be moved into action to realise that rejoicing calls upon you to act in some way, to do something. Maybe you just need to be able to celebrate God outwardly in your worship. Maybe it's praying for more boldness in your, or just in your everyday life. How can you celebrate him? How can you mark his presence and his power in your everyday living? Let's begin to dig beneath the stuff and the circumstances of life and to rediscover the unshakable joy that God has given us. I'm just going to pray for us before we go into response. Um, Father, thank you so much that you are with us, that you don't spectate from afar and just watch us getting on with our lives, but you want to get involved, that you are in our situations with us. You stand beside us. You have planted your Holy Spirit in each of us. Father, I thank you that that you've walked this earth, that you became flesh and blood and walked through every possible circumstance and suffering and pressure that anyone in this room could be going through right now, Father. You understand you are with us. Thank you that you have the power to redeem us, to untwist what has been warped by just the pressures of life, Lord. I pray for boldness over each and every one of the people here and for myself. I pray that we would celebrate you in boldness, in spirit and in truth. And that you would lead us on in this process of maturing in you. 
Bless each and every one of us. Amen.